at the base of the Mount of Olives, right next to the Garden of Gethsemane, with ancient Jerusalem not far away, past the Kidron Valley, there is the Church of All Nations. As you enter into this sacred place, there is a sign on the door that says, no explanations inside the church. It's meant to keep guides from coming in with their tour groups and chatting up the space and allowing it to instead stay quiet and, and sacred and holy, to allow that, that ambiance to, to fill the room. A, a preacher I read was there recently. He said, we should have a sign like that up today on Easter. No explanations inside the church. This is not a day to let logic and reason and science try to explain our faith or explain it. You don't, when someone's in love, they don't turn to logic for an explanation. They simply are and they experience it. Our job today is to experience through the anthems, through the prayers and the readings, to experience the very presence of God here in this place. If we, if we work too hard to try to explain things, we create some theological issues sometimes. There was a kindly old pastor, retired, who was invited by his church to come back and, and lead a children's moment. Have you seen children's moments where all the children are invited to, uh, to come up to the front, sit down on the chancel, and he would sit with them, and so they did exactly that. He'd been asked to explain to the children how you can experience and see God in nature. So they all came in. It was a big day like this. All the children filled the whole chancel. He sat down at the front with them. And he said, kids, today I'm thinking of something small, covered in gray fur, and it has a big fluffy tail. Does anyone know what that is? And one boy raised his hand and said, I know the answer is supposed to be Jesus, but it sure sounds like a squirrel. <laughs> you, see, you see what happens when... You see, thank you for that late laughter over here. Thank you. It just kicked in over here somewhere. You see what happens when we, when we try to explain things? We end up with a fluffy-tailed Jesus. We're, we're, not, we're not here today. We're not here for explanations and logic. We come instead, like the women in Luke's gospel, perhaps with broken dreams, broken hearts, sorrow-filled souls, unsure of what's happening next in our lives. Karl Barth, the great theologian, says, we come on a day like this with one question. Is it true? The resurrection of the dead, the forgiveness of sins, is it true? You know, I've, I've been to the Church of All Nations in Jerusalem. I've been there twice. My wife Julie and I have led two trips to the Holy Land. The first time there a few years ago, we were unable to spend much time in the church because our, our guide was behind time and we had a lunch reservation. He said, five minutes. I'm sorry, but five minutes. We walked in, basically looked around briefly, and then got back on our bus and headed toward lunch. Last fall, we led a group from First Community Church, about 41 of us across the Holy Land. We had plenty of time, though, when we got to the bottom of the Mount of Olives and went in to see the Garden of Gethsemane and then the Church of All Nations. That day, though, the, the sanctuary was just full. It was packed. There was this, there was this low-level hum. It was people talking in, in soft voices, respecting the space. But it was this hum that just sort of filled the room. And I stood at the back for a while and just let it soak in. And then I noticed there was a, a mass going on up by the chancel. It looked like a Roman Catholic mass. In the Church of All Nations, all denominations are welcome to have worship. There was a priest there. I didn't know what language he was speaking, but I, I, I loved the, the rhythms and the sounds of liturgy, and I thought I would just go up and sit in the front and have a moment in, in the Mass. As I got to the front, I looked, and on the left side of the chancel, 
there was a woman kneeling. There was a rail right next to her, and as she's kneeling, she was holding on to that rail and holding on tight to it like, like it was a life raft. And I could see she was weeping. I sat down near her, and I heard her say, please, please, please. I, I don't know what she was praying for, but I suspect many of us, if not most of us or all of us, have had a moment like that, haven't we? A moment when we need something beyond hope, a, a bit of life, a, a wish for love, Please, God, please, where we pray to God or to the, to the universe or, or to whatever you call your higher power, please, please, please. No explanations needed, really. We understand. See, Easter is not so much about the story of life after death. It is a story of whether or not you will find life before death. The resurrection will be taken care of. God has already promised that that will happen for all of us. The, the primary news of this day is on this day now with this extremely exciting announcement of new life. Will you find life before death? But we're, we're getting ahead of ourselves just a bit. Let's look back at the text. When the women come to the tomb of Jesus, they're not looking for life. They're still stuck in the past. They're holding on to the events that have just happened. They know nothing of Easter, of beautiful flowers and amazing music. They know nothing of hallelujahs or, or angels. They're on their way to anoint a corpse. Their Lord, their Lord is dead. But don't think lightly of these women, by the way. Don't think lightly of them. Luke's gospel tells us they were there at the skull where he was killed. They were there at his burial. And they are now coming to anoint his body. Jesus was killed by the politicians of Rome. He was executed by the state. For them to be near him and associated with, him, with them means that his, their lives are in danger. Their courage, their courage, though, helps them go forward to stay with their Lord, their rabbi, their teacher. The question from the man in dazzling clothes, an angel, perhaps, a, again, no explanations today. The question from this one is, why do you look for the living among the dead? Why? because they're stuck in the past. They're, they're trying to hold on to something that is no longer there. And we know about that, don't we? I, I read a preacher this week who said, we cling to former visions of ourselves and our churches as if they might come back to life as long as we hold on to them. Have you ever held on to something like that? Something in your former life that you wish you could just keep and move forward? Maybe it was in your teens or your 20s. Maybe it was when you were a little kid, whatever it might be. Maybe it's something that just as recent as last year, and you cling to it tightly thinking, if I just hold on tighter, maybe it'll come back to me again. But we know, we know that we have to let go if we're going to receive the life that's before us today and tomorrow. Why, why do we hold on so tightly? Well, Peter Gomes, the great preacher at Harvard Chapel, used to say, fear is contagious. Every one of us is a hostage to fear. We're afraid to let go of all that stuff not sure what tomorrow might bring. Easter faith is exactly that, though. It's about letting go of the corpse of whatever we, we used to hold on to so tightly so that we can receive life before death. Life before death. The resurrection invites us to a new way of life, one that is filled with the courage of these women so we're able to face our own need for forgiveness, our own need for grace and mercy. The women are terrified. 
They're terrified in this moment, this empty tomb, these men in dazzling white clothes. And yet, and yet, did you see this? Did you hear it as Jenny read it? They don't let their terror define them. Their fear doesn't control who they are or what they are. They go and leave the tomb with the good news that Christ is risen. By the way, just note that. The first preachers in the Christian church were women. In case you know somebody who disagrees with that, give them my phone number. I'll help them understand it, just so we're clear. The first ones were women. What happens when we, like the women in this story, can move beyond fear? What happens when we can let go of that, of that corpse-like past and receive the new life that God has set before us? What happens? We find grace and justice working together within our very souls. Tom Long's a great preacher down in Atlanta. He tells a story about a time he was in New York City for a baseball game. He was sitting down the left field lines. It was a cool September evening when a foul ball came over to the left field stands right toward this little boy who was sitting down in front of him. Now, this little boy was about nine years old. He was there with his mom. He had on a big Yankee hat that was coming down over his ears. It was so large for his head. He had on some of those plastic binoculars, cheap ones, you know. He had a glove. Well, it was the glove that the kid who plays right field at the end of the uh, Little League games had. It wasn't broken in at all. It wasn't a very good glove. But you could just see his eyes were wide. Uh, finally, it was hoping. What he hoped for was happening. The baseball, the foul ball was coming right toward him. He was just about to catch it when this guy, oh, maybe 35 in good shape. He was wearing a, a, a tight a polo type shirt, you know, with a little animal on it or something, a little crocodile or a horse or something. And he just dove, dove in front of this kid, knocked the little kid down and caught the ball. And there was this hushed silence. And then somebody said, give the kid the ball. A man just walked away. Somebody else said, give the kid the ball. Then two people sitting a couple of rows back, they chanted together, give the kid the ball. Then this big burly looking guy, he walked over to Mr. Logo shirt <clears throat> and he whispered something in his ear and the man said, just shook his head. Mr. Mr. Buff guy leaned in again and said something else and the guy went, uh. And he turned around and he handed the ball to the kid and the crowd went nuts. The crowd went crazy. They said, he gave the kid the ball. He gave the kid the ball. It was an amazing moment. And then something even more amazing happened. An evening later, another foul ball came. The burly guy, of course, he caught it. What did he do with the ball? He gave it to Mr. Logo shirt. <laughs> another ball comes a little bit later. Somebody else catches it. He went over to the kid, the one with the broken binoculars and the, and the big hat the lousy glove, he gave him a ball too. Tom Long's, by the way, that's God calling, saying to turn it off, please. <laughs> Where was I, Jim? <laughs> Another ball comes. Another ball comes. And the boy... The boy walks out transformed. What, what happened? Those folks at Yankee Stadium down in the left field bleachers, they went down there to see a game and instead they witnessed a parable of what happens when grace and justice meet together. Do you hear the way those two words are linked together, justice and grace? That is the work of the cross. That is the work of the empty tomb. That is the work of Easter. Miroslav Volf, the, the brilliant theologian from Yale says, the cross is not forgiveness pure and simple, but listen to this. God's setting aright the world of injustice and deception. It's God's setting aright the world of injustice and deception. 
there's, there's a marvelous story that's connected to Wolf's quote. Uh, a preacher friend of mine named John pointed this out to me. It's about Zacchaeus. It's two days before Palm Sunday. Jesus is in, Jerus- is in Jericho, the city of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is a tax collector. He's a scoundrel, a thief, a, a traitor against his country. He's ripped off his neighbors. Jesus sees him and says, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house. He comes to Zacchaeus, and in that relationship that is formed, Zacchaeus turns his life completely around. He pays back everybody that he's stolen from. He gives back all the taxes he'd taken. He turns his life completely around, and Jesus announces, today, salvation has come to your house. Now, pay attention to this. Salvation, do you see, is not about what happens after we die. Salvation is about what, how we live before our death comes. My faith is firmly convinced that when we die, all of us will experience the new heaven, the new earth, the new Jerusalem, that in that day there will be no more dying, no more weeping, no more crying, for we will all become residents with God. God will make God's very home among us. That's the great promise. The salvation that comes to Zacchaeus, the salvation that's offered to us, all of us around the world, is to choose life now before we die. This is what resurrection faith looks like. But it's never easy. It's never easy to face the hard truths of our own lives, to see where we need forgiveness, where we may have harmed someone else, to make it, as Wolf says, a right. He tells a story about a friend of his named Esther. She was abandoned as a child, nine years old, by her alcoholic mother. Esther, on that day, on that day her mother walked out, she made a promise that she would never love her mommy again, that she never wanted to see her again. Sixteen years later, she's in her mid-twenties, and she realizes she wants a relationship with her mother. She wants to see her again. She does some research, she finds where her mom lives, and it's in Iowa. She goes to see her. With all the courage that she has, with nervousness in her heart, she knocks on her mother's door. Mom opens the door, and they immediately fall into an embrace, a brace of of tears and sobs and and arms holding each other tightly. Esther is just speechless. She doesn't know what to do. She's just uncontrollably crying, and mom says, come on, I want you to meet all my friends, and she takes all around the little town where she lives in, in, in Iowa. She introduces her to her hairdresser and the grocer and all those people, and finally they make their way back home, and they share a meal together, and then Esther says, after the meal is over, they moved into the living room. Mommy, I, I want you to know I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry. You, you don't know this, but when you left us, I I made a promise that I would never love you again, that I would never see you again. And I'm here to tell you that I'm sorry for that. Will you forgive me? And her mother says, oh, Esther, of course I'll forgive you. Of course I'll forgive you. Of course. And they both began to cry again. You see, Esther thought that the next thing that would happen would be her mother would then acknowledge what she had done to hurt her little girl. But there's this silence. Just silence. Finally, Esther gets up. She walks over to her mother. She sits at her feet and takes a hold of her mother's hands. She looks her in the, in the eye and she says, Mommy, I love you. When you left us so many years ago, I, I, I was very angry with you, but I love you. I've turned out okay, Mommy. I, I have 
uh, my life is going well, and I, I just want you to know I, I forgive you. I forgive you. And in that moment, her mother began to cry. And, and in, in between the sobs, she said, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. She rocked back and forth, saying it over and over again, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Later, Esther realized that her mother's pain, her guilt was so great, she was unable to face her need for forgiveness. She was clinging so tightly to the past she wasn't able to receive the grace that was sitting right before her until her daughter, in a spirit of joy, finally named it. The faith of Easter, the gospel of Jesus Christ, is this simple invitation that none of us are ever beyond the forgiveness of God. That's what an Easter faith is for the world. It is a faith that invites us to let go of the past, to receive the new life that God wants to give us, even now, even today. Amen.